0: Welcome to Finding Your Identity, the podcast about helping you find your identity. Welcome back to Finding Your Identity. I'm Derek McKinney, and this is episode 32. And we shall get started, you know, recording an episode. I think that would be good. This episode is going to be about capturing the moment, as I'm going to call it. But, you know, it, it's going to be about recording stuff that happens in your life and recording those, you know, moments. And it's something that I had on my mind recently because I just happened to be thinking about how things changed. Dramatically in the past, you know, 10, 15 years or so with how how we do that because, you know, cell phones became better and better at taking pictures, better picture quality, how you store the photos, you know. So that's like one method of recording a moment, capturing a moment. And it really kind of changed things because I feel like there's a period of time where you really had uh, to kind of be more thoughtful about uh, bringing a camera along you know when you were going to do some kind of activity otherwise you didn't really have an easy way to record it because you know unless you happen to bring your easel and uh, canvas and a set of oil paints or something and, and you were capturing it that way but that's kind of old school and slow but needless to say you know things were were different uh, you know 10 to 20 years ago more like 20 years ago, I guess, because now we're it's 2020. So I'm just thinking back to how I used to capture moments with friends when I was, you know, younger, when I was a teenager. And it was, it, it was kind of interesting. Uh, and it's funny, because, you know, a friend of mine had <clears throat> just sent me a picture of this tiny micro uh, tape, uh, micro tape, or like, what you used to use to, in a tape recorder, when you wanted to just record a conversation or something like that. Those are still used, they're digital now, but but it used to be that it was an actual tape cassette and, and this was a, a tiny tape cassette, but there was, you know, this period of time when uh you know, not to go on too much of a tam- tangent, but you know, we we were actually kind of locked ourselves in in his downstairs, he had a raised ranch and we said, "Listen, we're going to record what's the basis for screenplay and it's going to be the greatest screenplay ever and we stayed up all night and I think we started at like nine or ten o'clock at night and we talked into this tape recorder back and forth with all the ideas and explaining the entire story and and everything every single detail about this story and you know come morning time where we basically had stayed up all night and it was you know probably eight o'clock in the morning. And it was, it was like, that was epic. That was, the, you know, this is going to be the best thing. It's going to change our lives because we're, you know, we're just teenagers at this point. I think, I forget how old, um, at the time, but it was like, that's, you know, this is, this is it. <laughs> this is the big break. And, and so that kind of got, you know, uh, he, he recently just found the tape cassette and, and he's like, I need to find a way to, uh, I need to buy the, tape recorder to actually put it into play. And it, and it got me thinking about, you know, how we record moments in our past, or, you know, at the time, how, how you're recording something to save for the future, and how that technology changes. And you kind of almost have to be a little bit thoughtful of that. Because the fact that the technology does change somewhat rapidly, means you may actually capture something in a format on a device, you know, uh, that's, that's not going to be around, you know, 20 in 20 years, you know, so you won't actually have a way to play it back. So it, it kind of just got me thinking about that. And it, it became an interesting idea to talk about, you know, to have a as a concept to talk about in this episode. So that's what I want to talk about capturing the moment, you know, beyond just like, how you capture photos, but just how you capture moments. And so that's what I'm going to talk about in this episode. And uh, you know, it, it, it's probably something you maybe don't pay too much attention to. And it, it's worth thinking about. And it's worth at least planning a little bit out uh, how how you might uh, capture things in a way that they can essentially live for ever. So that's what this episode will be about. And uh, we'll talk more after the break. Now, capturing the moment is really—it could be in many ways. A lot of times, it's just you're capturing it in your head, and it's a memory, right? Obviously, the the simplest way to go about capturing a moment. But you know, if you really think about it, you know, there's all it's hard to to do that and, and then really feel like you've captured it forever because it's easy to forget things. So obviously, as a human race who likes to capture things and remember things, and it's not just for our own personal benefit, it's obviously for the benefit of future generations. You know, I mean, it's like history is the best teacher because, you know, you're basically... Uh, trying to learn from the mistakes of the past, or, or you know, just learn in general from the past to to help improve future outcomes. And, you know, it's, it's obviously like, one of the, the best ways to help improve things, you know, by looking at how things happened in the past, how how things kind of evolved. And so it was kind of out of necessity, you know, you think back to how Uh, cave people, uh, Neanderthals, Neanderthals, whatever you want to call them, Uh, I won't judge you for how you say it, even if you say it wrong. But it's, uh, you know, the cave paintings or the cave writings that were the first way that that things were captured, you know, essentially. And if you think about how things were captured in in that sense, to capture their histories or their their stories, you know, and I I think of uh, the movie The Croods, which is just like one of my favorite cartoon movies. And I think it was really well done. And it's a good story. And it's also pretty hilarious. But how you know, they kind of point to the cave paintings as uh, them looking at the previous cave paintings as warnings as to you know, how things went wrong for them and what not to do. And essentially the the whole start of the movie is like they hide in a cave when there's danger and they they don't come out very often because that's what the cave paintings told them to do, that being in a cave was safe. And, you know, obviously that, like if you've ever seen the movie, you kind of realize it it needed to kind of come out to actually survive because, you know, the ancestors had, had given them, I guess, you could say a path to survive up until that point but then they needed to survive longer and it was the cave paintings you know that essentially taught them that and and obviously that's just a cartoon it's probably not completely like out of the idea that that that's what cave paintings were used to communicate not necessarily the idea that they were communicating with people from you know 2020 Uh, they probably didn't even think that far ahead and i'm sure they couldn't even imagine what kind of technology we would have now. But, you know, the idea was more, you know, short term focused in terms of thinking, like, we need to record this, you know, maybe it's just for ourselves for now, but also, you know, future generations, like, in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, uh, could could use those paintings as a guide, uh, you know, and and it helped communicate, the, you know, languages so that that people could have common languages and, you know, information, pictures, whatever you whatever it is, you know, and and it's not purely for, uh, you know, administrative reasons. But there's, obviously, like, it's sharing personal pictures, if you want to say, like, pictures about the family, uh, their family, or or whatever, like, however, they they interpreted uh, the drawing, however, someone else would interpret the drawing, like, it could, you know, we look at it as like, oh, it's historical, and it tells us a lot about the the species or not the species, um, the the type of people, I guess, what you call it, um, at the time, but it really was. Not at the time that they were doing it, the their intentions wasn't so much to like, help us figure them out. It was, you know, the immediate need for communicating or or recording, I should say, you know, recording moments and information and, you know, for their own pleasure for whatever. But, you know, I think it, it kind of points to the fact that there's there's just really been this, this inherent need in humans to do this to to record stuff to capture moments. And in this day and age, it's really easy to do. I mean, I just think of on my phone now, all the different ways that I might communicate with somebody, because it's not just one, you got text message, you got video calling, then you've got things like Twitter, where, you know, you're, you're now exposed or or able to expose information or, or your thoughts to, the entire world, for all intents and purposes, you know, and, and and Facebook, you know, it's not so much the entire world, but it potentially is. I mean, because Twitter, it's like, obviously, people need to be following you, but stuff can kind of get picked up in, in public threads. Facebook, it's supposed to be really just between your, your friends that you've essentially chosen. But you know, the way that it works, it's friends of a friends of a friends, whatever. So you post it on Facebook just the same way as on Twitter, it it could essentially spread go viral or whatever, and and get shared out and then get picked up and reshared, whatever someone grabs a photo, they can download it to themselves, they can re upload it, uh, or download it to their own uh, devices, and then re upload it, and it's no longer in your control, which I think is an important factor to consider. When you're trying to capture moments, you know, I don't really like to share pictures of my children online, like, especially on Facebook, because I don't, like, to me, it feels a little wrong, because the kids don't have any consent in it, you know, especially when they get older. And it's like, you've got people who share, you know, pictures of kids in the bathtub or something like that. And, you know, that that's kind of alarming, in a sense, you know. So I, I think I think you got to be can consider you got to consider that that's that could be problematic. Um, so, uh, you know, it's definitely important to have a consideration of, of the methods that you use to share information. Not just a consideration just because of, you know, who might be in the picture, but also, when I say consideration, this is going to go back to the fact that I said, you know, what, how are you capturing it? You know, if you think about how, uh, maybe 40 years ago you were capturing photos with, uh, f- with, uh, film, like, I don't even know how to describe, <laughs> I guess it's like a, it's a roll of film. I'm trying to think if somebody, somebody wasn't familiar with it, how would you kind of explain it? Because you you used to take photographs a lot differently. Like the when the photos are originally made, they're essentially, you know, it's like you take a picture and it flashes light and the light kind of flashes back at the camera. And it's, it's almost like burned onto this special kind of film. And, and it's, it's uh. What do they call it? Like the, I guess it's like the negative uh, light. Uh, it used to call them negatives, actually. And the way that it's kind of burnt onto that film is the best way I could think to describe it. And it, and it's burnt on there. And what it does is, uh, you know, it, it create it captures that image in it. And then it has to be developed, as they call it. So so you'd actually have to take the negatives, which is the, the film, the role of film, and you'd have to bring it somewhere and have it developed because it had to run be run through a certain process and it you know it started off that it was really um kind of a, a crude method i guess you could say um where it, you know you look at like old old photos like western pictures you know um i not i don't know if the cameras back then could actually like some of them were almost kind of like what they call polaroid like a polaroid where it would you know, be an instant picture. I mean, not necessarily instant, it, you know, like like some of those cameras, you actually had to hold the exposure or, or keep the lens, like the light that's coming into the camera that that had to be exposed and open for a, a long period of time, like I think, I don't know, I'm gonna guess maybe like two to five minutes or something in order for the picture to actually be captured in order for enough light to create that effect that exposing effect i guess you could say and so you know as things evolved the process i think for a long time and I, and i think this i think back to like the 80s or 90s where you know it was like dark rooms and a special kind of water or something or liquid that you had to actually you know you take the the negative which was really small and you put it in the, in the water. And it was like the way the light bended in the water or something like that. Like I'm just completely going off of what I'm, I'm guessing is how the process was because I didn't actually plan to talk about the process. So I didn't really do any kind of research into it. But, um, you know, I do know from, from what I've seen, because I've seen this done in in movies or, um, documentaries and, and it's essentially, you know, you, the way you lay the negative into the water, it's, it's basically causing the, the picture to be able to be uh, made bigger uh, from the negative, because the negative is something that's like really tiny, like fits in the palm of your hand, you know, I don't know, it's like the, the this uh, tiny, you know, pictures, tiny little square thing um, that essentially, the way that the develop uh, developing process was, is it, it was able to kind of take that picture and then essentially zap it (laughs) i'm gonna use these real technical terms zap uh but basically magically make it appear on the actual film paper uh, that that ends up becoming the photograph that you'd end up getting back um you know and and essentially that process was kind of i think pretty tedious uh you know to some degree and it could I, i remember i'd have film developed sometimes where the picture would have some weird artifacts in it and weird blemishes uh, you know and, and it was all part of that process and it was like a very you had to be very perfect with it and things kind of got better because i i had a really old eight millimeter type camera i guess well not eight millimeter i think that was a camcorder but um you know i had a, a point and shoot type of of film camera that I I got at one point and I would take pictures and I had black and white film and I was like I'm an artist I'm a photography artist because I could take a black and white picture and I'd just take random angle pictures and be like look at the magic and the art you know but it looked cool you know and and actually it would look cool and and sometimes they they turn out like to be really cool shots and I had when I went to to visit Rome and I took a picture of the Colosseum like I took a picture with the I brought that camera and I had a black and white roll in there and I had color rolls and I, I took some really good shots I I think I think I could trace the blown up picture of one of the pictures I took that I had framed because I had a couple of them framed but I don't even know like and, and that's one of the problems is like I couldn't ever really replicate that because I don't have the negatives like I don't have the original film rolls because I did have them at one point I have no clue where they went and you know that that's part of part of the problem because you know the original it, that negative is what can be used to turn it into larger larger prints you know larger sizes of the picture so <clears throat> that's again back to that whole consideration of how you're capturing it obviously you can only use what's available to you and it's not like I was taking these pictures, and I'm thinking, you know, like, I'll have a digital camera soon enough, you know, <laughs> like, I wasn't kind of, that wasn't kind of a thought. Um, but, you know, I, I wish I was a little bit more conscious of the fact that I should have been, I should have held on to those negatives a little bit better, you know, I should have made more of an effort to hold on to those negatives so that I could, you know, I, at whatever point, maybe potentially try to redevelop them and and see you know how they might look today with with more cleaner techniques for developing but kind of goes back to that point i was trying to make about just being conscious of how you're how you're capturing it and knowing okay so you know for instance that the the micro cassette tape having the tape is worthless if you don't have any way to play it and that's kind of the the irony of it you know because um you know i think you you kind of thought oh well, I'm capturing it I'm capturing it on a tape and and as long as I've got that this, this tape I've I've recorded it and I can go back to it but if you don't you know if you've lost the method of playing it like it's worthless like eight track or four four track four track players or eight tracks I forget what they're I think they're called eight tracks those are like a funky size cassette tape you know and so that funky sized cassette tape is like unplayable without a four track or I mean eight track player keep saying four track I think that's actually like a DJ thing four track recorder um an eight track I think might be spelled differently but you know that basically is a good point to to consider you know is like how the heck would I play this like obviously um you know I'm sure if you searched on eBay you could find an eight track player you know they, they've been managed to be preserved you know but like i think of of when i had these original um zip drive i had this io mega zip drive thing and it was kind of a clunky thing it you know thing was is like the size of what an ipad is today <laughs> and um you know i had that thing and it was it was like it hooked up with a special cable into the computer might have been like one uh like plugs in as usb um well i, I can't re- even remember what kind of cable it takes but anyways so i had that's how i i stored files externally like because usually you know you'd have very limited space on your computers back then and you'd get an external drive if you wanted to store stuff on that and so you know i used to store some of the the stuff i wrote um, uh, you know, and sometimes I think maybe like music files or, or whatever, like anything that I any kind of media that I had, I would store and I'd store it on that, that uh, those little disk drives, and those disk drives didn't really like store a ton. So I might have had, I don't know, 10 or 20 of these disk drives. And then the the drive um, stopped working. And I had no way. It basically it was like all that effort to to preserve all that information was completely useless because I had no way to recover it. Now at the time it was like, okay, that broke and I could rebuy you know, I went and out and I bought another one. Um or maybe I bought a component to fix it, I forget. But but it was kind of like that shines a spotlight on the fact that, you know, you're at the mercy of that, that technology kinda, you know. And, and, and it was, you know, at the time, that was one of those things, like, okay, you got to deal with that. Like, obviously, your computer goes down, and you've got a bunch of important information stored on it. And and then you're kind of screwed if you need it, you know, and that's kind of one of those um, age old computer adages, like, you know, redundant backups are are very key and that businesses have redundant backups multiple redundant backups of customer data or financial data or whatever, just because you never know, like, you got to have some kind of um, data recovery plan, you know, if you're a business and but people don't generally have recovery plans, you know, <laughs> like, you not you're not thinking like, oh, I need a a secondary backup drive, because it's like bad enough that things are expensive. So you just bought one drive. And you're like, Oh, I got a good drive. And I'm actually making a backup of the stuff from the computer onto this drive. But then you get to a point where you're like, Oh, I'm running out of space. And you start deleting the data on your computer. And you're like, well, it's okay, I've got a backup. But then if the backup method fails, then what you know, so like, that's just something to, to kind of keep in mind, you know, when, when we're using um, new technologies to capture moments, and um, you know, other than your memories, although you could get uh, hit in the head and have amnesia and then, and then your personal recovery, your backup method is, is unable to recover memories and, and it, it, stuff can just happen it, like <laughs> on extreme levels. But, but I think with proper preparation, you know, from a personal level, like you can avoid some of these problems, you know, such as you can have the, The disk, so you have the disk, so as long as you have a a way to kind of go recover that that technology, Uh, the the problem is, is now okay, so a micro recorder might not necessarily uh, some of those tape formats, those tapes might actually be different sizes, right? So um, there may not actually be that size player around anymore, right? So so then then you got a problem. So you, so you not only have to preserve the storage device like the the store the you know the cassette tape, but you also have to to preserve the player, you know? So like it's, it's something to just be conscious of and you know in terms of capturing moments. And then you got like it, it, this still happens cuz cuz one of the problems that I had recently was I had I had several uh, what they call nas drives they' network uh, storage drives, network access storage, something like that. Um, they just call I call them nas drives they I had a couple of them and they were internet connected. and so I had a network of them. I had four of them at one point um, you know, and it was kind of a good method to to back up because you could set it up automatic and you can also access it. You know, remotely, you didn't have to be on the actual computer itself, which is a level of convenience, and it's great. But then you have to kind of take into consideration extra security protocols and blah 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 blah. You know, make sure it's safe. I don't want to get into the technical nitty gritty, but um, you know, I I did that, and these things worked great. And I actually had uh, a drive that I strictly used as a backup drive. A redundant backup drive. So I actually had, you know, a bunch of photos, documents, tons of stuff. I mean, just years and years of stuff. um, In addition to some, you know, uh, other like videos and stuff like that. And it was it was pretty full, like this drive was full. And I bought this other drive, and I just created a backup drive from it. So so it backed up the other drive. So like I said, it was a redundant backup, it was the exact same info on both. And that that was meant to be okay, well, if one of them fails, I have the other one. And, you know, those things, they lasted a few years, but then one of them did fail. And I was like, well, it's a good thing I've got this redundant backup. And, you know, I, but I, but I was just like, <clears throat> well, you know, I've got this backup. And I'm like, I need to get another, another redundant backup for it. Uh, and I had it like I was just thinking, oh, I got to get this fixed, try to get the other drive fixed. I could try to recover the stuff and and then just stuff kind of, you know, life got in the way kind of thing. And the second drive ended up failing. And I was like, oh, and now it's like I had the drive and I know the, the drive isn't corrupted. It's actually there's kind of this bridge to get to the data and the drive is actually – by default, it's encrypted, so it. I just can't access. I just can't access it anymore. I can't. I can't get it to, to essentially load up so that I can access it. And so there's a whole bunch of photos that are just on it. That, for to some degree, most of the photos I think were backed up in some other form through phone storage, which I'll get to later. Uh, you know, cloud storage. I mean, and with, you know, the cloud storage through through your phone, Google Photos, iCloud, whatever. But anyway, so so I, but I still, you know, I don't know exactly, how, there was thousands of photos, so I don't know exactly which things there might be gaps from, you know, and so like that's always kind of a concern, you know, that, that I mean, not only is it completely dependent on the technology, but you can't just like set it and forget it kind of things you gotta it's gotta have some care and feeding you gotta check it you gotta you gotta make sure you've got some kind of backup system for like what happens you know what are you gonna do if that that method fails right so I think that's what's kind of important to to consider and the reason why I felt like a need to do this episode because I think it's important for people to consider that whatever you're doing to capture moments, you know, like, mostly people are doing that with photographs, um, video, home videos, you know, through their phones, you almost need to back up in as many places as possible and in the safest, you know, securest way, uh, just, just to be safe, you know, it could be the original stay on your phone, you have cloud backups, you got these, uh, you got it on your computer because you, you know, you can connect to your computer, in many different ways, and move the photos there, copy them there. Plus, you could have these backup drives, you know, there's many ways to do it. Um, You know, in terms of the actual tech behind it, um, I'm going to get to that shortly in like the next segment of this. But um, I kind of wanted to step a little bit beyond just photographs too, because I think if you consider capturing moments to be, uh, you know, more than just pictures, journaling, for example, you know, where you're, you're essentially keeping a journal or a diary, you know, it always felt like when I was young, it was kind of like, I don't want to keep a diary. That's for girls, you know, but I keep a journal. They're the same thing. <laughs> you're, you're writing your thoughts and feelings in a notebook. You know, maybe it's not heart shaped notebook or doesn't have hearts drawn all over it, you know, or lock it, uh, not a lock, a little lock and key um, on it. But it's still effectively a diary. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, but I, I, you know, I think journals are kind of cool. I wish I could have stuck with it. I used to, you know, I wrote like poetry and short stories. And that was kind of how I captured moments, but they weren't you know, an everyday thing, it was just whatever I happened to be writing about thinking about at the time, I still think it's a good way, you know, I go back and I look at some of those poems I wrote, and I think something was wrong with me, definitely was going through some stuff. But it's, you know, it was a good way to capture those moments. So I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. Uh, you know, A cool method to kind of preserve a moment in time if you will and i think it's it's you know one way to do it there's other people who do scrapbooking you know which does involve photographing but it also is kind of like mixing journaling and photograph taking pictures uh you know where you basically post uh, paste your photographs into a scrapbook and and then write <clears throat> you know stuff around it or or type it and print it and then paste it in there whatever whatever method you know you're still capturing the the moment if you will and scrapbooking is kind of a cool thing um now you can do like digital scrapbooking and you know if that's how you approach it then then great you know so i think it's important to do it regardless of how you do it that's the the main thing uh because you you want to preserve stuff, you may want to preserve, like before you're married, you know, or you have kids or or whatever, you know, you may want to, to capture things, thoughts, stuff you did that before that, so that you can share it with your, your future family, you know, so however you kind of capture the moment, it's it's kind of a critical, a critical decision. You know, it, it may just be like, oh, well, it's just this moment in time. It's not a big deal. But it could have an everlasting impact on the future. If you think about it, you know, if you think about how you, um, you know, might be writing advice to yourself for the future. It's like you come up with a really good idea in the middle of the night, and you wake up and you're like, Oh, I wish I had somewhere to write it down. And you have got a little, you do have a notebook or something and then you write down that brilliant idea. And then you wake up the next morning and you're like, Oh my gosh, this actually was a good idea. This wasn't just, you know, some kind of midnight random thought that made sense at 2am, but it has no, no sense about it at, you know, this, uh, eight o'clock in the morning when I'm thinking clearly, but you never know. Sometimes you do. It's like, you have an invention idea or something like that that could, be, that could be brilliant. You never know. So it's worth it. It's worth it to kind of capture that. So capture the moment. And I'm going to take a break and then come back and talk about some tools that you can leverage. Okay, so what can you do? lots of things. I'm going to go through with uh, a list of things that I personally do, you know, use like obviously taking pictures. But, you know, taking pictures is great as long as you know, you don't lose your phone or, you know, you don't accidentally delete them. And so what I mean is, you know, having some kind of backup system is important, which I mentioned before, but I like to use Google Photos. You can use that on an Android device, or you can use it on an iPhone. There are some things to be conscious of while doing it. You know, I mean, for one thing, you can have it set to automatically back up, you know, at, at all time. you know, like any anytime that it essentially you take a picture, it, it'll automatically back up. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's public, but it means it is being stored on some server that's, you know, out of your control and... You always have to imagine if Google is keeping redundant backups. Like how deleted is something when you delete it. Uh, it's supposed to be deleted, but you never know. You never. You just never know. <laughs> like, you know, you take a picture on your phone and it's not backed up anywhere else, and you delete it. You can feel pretty confident that it's gone. Although there's, you know, forensic specialists who could probably recover that photo. That's a whole different story about how how data drives work, essentially. But, you know, I don't know, if you're not taking appropriate pictures, and you're worried, maybe you need to not take appropriate or inappropriate pictures. (laughs) Or you need to use a different kind of device to do it. I don't know. But bottom line is, just be conscious of the fact that you take a picture and use some kind of cloud backup, it is going to be on a server. And it's going to be out there. And it it isn't necessarily shared with the rest of the world but it does live on some kind of device that's out of your control and and you know if there's like a data breach or whatever you know that stuff can get exposed so you know the the next step is though is okay you've taken pictures and it's like all right you know what i just took pictures of of a recital or a sport event or or whatever and i want to share this so you know, Google Photos lets you create albums and then share them with other people. And and the nice thing is, is then they can share pictures. So if you're both at the same uh, event, and you know, you've taken pictures, and they've taken pictures, you can combine them all together in that same shared album, which is kind of cool. Now, I know like iCloud has something similar, but you know, I'm not an Apple person. I don't really like iPhones. So that's not my, that's not my jam. And I'm not gonna even try to explain it, because I don't care too much about it. But you can go out and you can figure out how how you can do essentially the same thing. You know, there's tons of ways to do it. You can do it with Dropbox, too. You know, you can have a Dropbox um, account and have it automatically back up photos. And you can share the uh, folder that you store those photos in. And and essentially, uh, and, and I think you can open the photo or open up the folder so that other people can contribute to it and do the exact same thing. So it's really just pick your... Pick your technology of choice, you know, or method. So, Google Photos, though, like I like I said, it works on iPhone, works on Android, and it's great. But it also, <coughs> excuse me, it also has, you know, some privacy concerns. And so, you know, I, I felt like uh, at the very least, I should help guide some people, you know, who care to to want to know, <laughs> um, you know, help help guide. How to kind of be safe, you know? So uh, there are privacy settings um, that I was looking up, you know, just to kind of get clear clarification. But basically, it, let's put it this way Google, a lot of times by default, unless you're going through a setup process and you're reading every part of the screen, you know, they, they kind of have stuff turned on by default, you know, like share data, share error, reporting share, whatever, 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 you know, they're because they, that's their business is data. And, and having people have that stuff turned on is critical to their business. So you got to sometimes go out of your way, I might have mentioned this in, in previous episodes about the practicing safe internet, but you got to go out of your way to, to turn to turn these things off, you know, like, in your browser, in general, in Chrome, in Firefox, and Safari, you know, if you go into to settings and you go to privacy settings and you really dig into it, you could see that it'll say, you know, automatically send crash reports, or, um, you know, or or there's even the option for uh, don't allow tracking. Like it'll tell websites, hey, don't track me. Uh, not that it might, not that it has that much of an impact, but some sites do re- respect it, like the big reputable ones do. And so you got to go out of your way to turn that setting on to say don't let websites track me. Same thing is is um, you know with the photo privacy settings. You know you got to um, be conscious of the fact that sometimes by default your photos are tagged with a location, you know with geolocation, like la- longitude and latitude coordinates are actually embedded as metadata on your photos when you take them. You actually have to go out of your way to turn that off. I don't know if that one's on by default, but sometimes you accidentally turn it on because you'll get prompted and you're like, I just want to take a picture and you hit buttons. And the next thing you know, you've, you basically are tagging every single photo with your location of where you took it. Now, Google looks at that, um, that data and that, you know, is part of the whole, like, you know, mapping your life, essentially digitizing everything about these users, all their users lives, uh, like where, where, Photos might be taken might be of value to advertisers, obviously, right? Um, so you gotta be conscious of it. I don't turn that setting on. I don't like that setting. I think it, it really to me has no value at all to have geolocation coordinates pinned to my photographs. I don't know if it's like, oh well, maybe in the future you'd wanna be able to search back to find out where you took that photo. Maybe, but uh, no, like for me, no, I'd rather not. I'd rather just be like, oh, well, I guess I'll never know where I took that picture because I don't care that much <laughs> to know exactly where I took it. And if I can't remember where I took it, that's just to me, it's a minor problem. It's a bigger problem to think that that data is being used for some reason. And even though, you know, it's technically not public, it's still, you know, anonymously being stored. And so I just don't I don't like that feature. Turn it off. I, I recommend people turn that off you know, you go into settings and you go under <clears throat> photo settings and, and you turn off you can turn off location history. First of all, it's one thing you can turn off um, having your photos tagged uh, with, with geolocation. So uh, those are like the first things then, you know, air reporting. A lot of times I turn off because because you can set like sometimes you get prompted if your apps crash on your phone. This is specific to apps. It'll say, "Do you want to send a crash report to the app creator?" You know, and and that could be useful to them. If your app crashes a lot, then you know, by all means, send a report once in a while. But be conscious of the fact that it needs to capture a whole bunch of data in the report in order to try to help troubleshoot what was wrong. And so it could be like you kept typing something so it means whatever you typed is going to get sent along with that report so you gotta you just got to be aware of that you know so i i always turn off crash reporting and uh you know i don't i don't like to i don't like to share stuff because i feel like you know i'm definitely a proponent of i should get something out of this you know it's a one-sided relationship yeah i'm getting to use the app for free so i guess there's that but I feel like you're getting a lot more out of this than, than ju- what I'm getting for it in return. So, so it's always a slippery slope to me, like, you know, striking that balance. So, so needless to say, you got to go in and you got to do a, a checkup. Now, Google is recently, and mainly because of GDPR, like the European Union putting out the um, data privacy, data ownership laws, now, you know, Google will prompt you to do privacy checkups. And you can go search privacy checkup Google, like in Google, do that search, you can go and actually make sure that how how, you know that you understand how your privacy settings are set up. And that's like the geolocation tracking and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, not to blah, 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 my way through through that, it's important to know all the what all is inside of that blah, blah, blah. But, but there's a lot of details to it. So I don't want to drown and trying to cover all that. So, you know, mainly, you got to be aware, you got to go into settings, you got to go under privacy settings, you got to look, see what's set. I, you know, will sometimes just go in and I'll just do a clean slate, you know, I'll go search Google and do my activity. Um, you know, and, and you might see if you look in my activity under photos, it happens to be like locations are tagged on, on these photos, you can delete all that data, you legally have the right to do that now. So, so, and, and, you know, make sure when you're deleting data, also make sure that you're choosing to delete all of it, and not just for the past month or something like that, you know, or the past day, you got to check for the, the length of the history too. I'm definitely an advocate for privacy users having control over privacy. So I definitely go down that. Tangent path, uh, often, but you know when it comes to photos, they're they're probably going to be personal for the most part. You know, stuff that you don't want to share with the whole world. You just want to share with a handful of people. That's the nice thing about Google Photos because you can easily just you know pick pick who you want to share the album with. They can like photos and comment on photos, you know, and so you've got you got a method of sharing now what i i think is important to to kind of recognize with that is it is you know it's it's gotten to this this world of of what they call you know cloud data cloud storage so doing it that way it is preserving it now granted if the apocalypse hits hits apocalyptic apocalyptic apocalypse hits <laughs> apocalypse the apocalypse hits that's what i'm trying to say if that hits uh or you know the internet is essentially wiped out so are your photos so that's always something that could happen now most people probably don't believe it's going to happen anytime soon but just in case you know what i think is kind of cool to do sometimes is and this is something that my my wife often does for our family, and I think it's a cool idea. And so she'll kind of turn it into stuff, you know, turn it into books, like these album books, turn it into a blanket, turn it into a towel, turn it into, you know, framed photos, things or, or whatever, you know, turn them into things, mugs, t shirts, take take these moments, find, you know, narrow them down to some some handful of pictures that you want to actually put out there and, and essentially publish to something personal, you know, a pillow, coffee mug, placemat, whatever. But I think doing that, you know, you end up getting a kind of a collection of these memories in a, in a cool way that is essentially preserved for all time. I mean, if you do pillows you know blanket stuff that stuff could wear out but it's going to be it's going to be around for a lot longer so I think it's often a good idea to to consider well how do I how do I take this and kind of turn it into something uh you know more permanent you know so so I think that's, that's something you can kind of look at I think it'd be a good idea you know uh so you should look into doing something like that Now, some other things like if you're into into writing, um, you know, you need something that could and I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) I'm not getting paid to push Google Photos, uh, you know, or any apps that I talk about Dropbox, you know, I just happen to know the technology, and I've used the technology. And I, I don't like Dropbox, because I don't want to have to pay a ton extra. Um, Although I pay for Google storage, but it's kind of a more of a universal package that covers all types of products so it's not just photos um you know google drive i i have like 200 gigs or whatever and i forget whatever it is per year for that like 30 bucks a year icloud is similar you know i think icloud has a cost associated with it too whatever you choose to use as a tool you're gonna obviously have to weigh the costs you know because there's always some cost could be hidden. It could be obvious. You know, you, you pay for iCloud or Dropbox or Google, or you sacrifice your own uh, digital identities because you're giving up data. Whatever it is, you got to evaluate that kind of thing. You know, you just got to make sure you're aware of whatever you're using. There is another tool that I wanted to mention, which um, is called Evernote. And I like it because it's it's cloud-based and it has uh, a free version. The catch with the free version is I think you're only allowed to have two devices synced uh, for the free version. And if you you know, want to sync more than that, you got to pay. Uh, I don't know how much it is actually, but uh, I generally just use the free version. Uh, sometimes I have to go and disassociate a, a device so that I don't have to pay. Uh, but it, usually it's like, the two devices is a, maybe a phone and a tablet or a phone and a computer or something like that, um, you know, which I, I like it because you can kind of store, you, you know, it's mainly like kind of a notepad type thing, but you can also snap pictures and store pictures in it. And, you know, I often will use it to kind of make lists. I have a Samsung phone, which has a Samsung Notes, which also is something that's kind of synced, although it's a little... Like I, I don't know. I have a little bit more of a problem with it than I do with Evernote, uh, mainly because it seems like it's harder. I don't know. To me, it's a little bit harder to figure out what exactly is the intent because it's free, you know, from Samsung, uh, and and like I, I feel like it's pretty obvious, you know, ever source, ever source, Evernote. Eversource is my electric company, Uh, Evernote is the app that is pretty obviously, you know, trying to get you to pay money, but it it provides that free version. And so, you know, I, I, I know, I know the intent there, you know, they're always trying to get me to upgrade, you know, they're always warning me, I only have two devices synced, and I can have many more, but I can't really see the value in having more than that. I mean, it might be nice if I could sync three, like a phone, a tablet, and a computer. You know, but I can live with just what I, I have available. So I don't, you know, kind of. I don't pay. Uh, I don't push myself to need it. You know, I kind of stay within the uh, color within the lines with that one, and you know, stay with to what's available. But um, you know, I, I think it what to me is kind of critical is you know a part of this uh, evaluation of all these tools is you know what's the potential longevity of it I feel like they're all kind of questionable what happens if Evernote just kind of ups and disappears you know so uh, occasionally I kind of think uh what do I do what do I have in it you know I kind of do an audit uh what's in here that I might need I feel like you know generally speaking, the app isn't going to just disappear if the company goes under. Uh, you just lose your sync because maybe they shut down their servers, but you know you at least have your local version and you know if you hear that they shut down or you know they generally will warn you um, you can figure out an exit strategy for that. So it's often important to kind of consider those things, you know and I feel like people can kind of overlook it. Uh, you know with the drives that I mentioned earlier, you know, the, it, it's just so easy to set up, you literally, it's plug and play, you plug the thing in uh, to a USB port, and, ho- you know, you've got the drive going, and uh, the, the next step is you hook it up to uh, an Ethernet cable, and it hooks up to your router, and you're, you're online, but you got to go to the next step which is you didn't, you know, log into it, you know, follow the instructions on how to log into it and change the default passwords. Because just because it's on your network and you feel like your network is safe, doesn't mean that that somebody can't hack into your network and then you're just using the out-of-the-box username and password on one of those drives, and now that drive is easily compromised. So, you know, you gotta you gotta think about all these things because it's it's all capturing data you know, and, and part of this is, you know, I I call this capturing the moments, but it's where you put in those moments. And what are those moments? And generally, these moments are captured as data, unless it's a memory, right, which is kind of data ish, but it's in your head. You know, it, it's, it's got to be stored, you know, so it needs devices. So everything that you're, you're doing, you know, we're, we're out of the age of digital cameras, where it was really, uh, I mean, not digital cameras, uh, film cameras, you know, where it was film, and and it was kind of captured on that film. And that was the only avenue to get something uh, developed, you know, was through uh, taking the picture, having it put on, on those negatives, bringing the negatives to, uh, you know, a photo place, and a one hour photo or whatever, and then having them developed. And that was kind of that easy single path or whatever. Now it's like a digital camera has an SD card or some kind of memory card that you got to, you know, maybe hook up the the camera via USB to a computer, which then you transfer those photos to a folder, and then maybe you upload them to Walgreens or CVS or Walmart, and then, you know, order prints, and then you go pick them up. And, you know, but then now it's, it's digital data. And, and you have to, th- consider how that data is being transmitted, you know, over the internet, and how it's getting stored. And those photos don't live just on your camera anymore. They're stored on Walmart servers or CVS's servers. And all this stuff is just, you know, it's exposing it. So it's like, another thing you have to worry about, you know, it's, it's like this thing that it used to be simple when it was just kind of a film camera and there was just that one avenue to getting something developed. Now you got to be conscious of the fact that, you know, how, how are you turning something into some kind of digital print or are you, are you doing that? Or are you just storing it on a drive? You know, just stuff to consider, you know, as as kind of the wrap up here. But, uh, you know, I think generally speaking, it, it can be an easy process. You just set this stuff up. And set it and forget it. Like once you do this initial setup, you're fine, you know. And then you got a system in place. You got you know uh, a a drive um, Google Photos just automatically backing up your photos, and you've already changed your privacy settings. And now uh, you can go into the Google Photos app, and you can choose which private photos you want to make public by sharing an album with people or keep them private. You can you know you can go on to Walmart, and you can choose which photos you want to upload and and, you know, figure out your system or some people use like Shutterfly or other things to, to make those pillows or blankets or, you know, have prints made or mugs made or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think eventually you kind of figure if they just sit on a drive, it's like you take all these pictures and that's it. It's like, Oh, did I really, you know, I really didn't do it justice. I captured the moment, but I didn't really kind of follow through, you know, uh, Creating like books for your kids, you know, baby books or whatever, is a way to capture things, and that kind of helps translate that that memory, that moment, to something tangible, you know. And I, I think sometimes it's important to kind of step back and consider that uh, hundreds and hundreds of photos just sitting on a, a drive and you never look at them is it just kind of feels like a waste. But this is just uh, some thoughts on on capturing the moment. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there. Put my thoughts out there about capturing the moment. This podcast captured this moment, you know, I guess you could consider that another way of capturing things, you could start a podcast, you could, you know, I want to do a separate episode about, you know, journaling and and writing, but you could, you know, um, you could do public journaling or something you know online where you can help share um, I actually had a website that I created <clears throat> my second website but really the f- I consider it my first cuz it was the website that I built where I experimented with all type building all types of features and stuff like that like like chat and message boards and and stuff but it was called story passers and the whole premise of it was to you know you could start a story and then somebody else could come along and pick it up and continue that story. And then someone else could come along and that story could kind of keep evolving. And then somebody could, you know, choose to wrap it up and close it out. And you'd have this story that was written by 10 people that would be very unique, you know. And <clears throat> it was kind of an idea. The idea behind it was, you know, that it was it was really kind of meant to get your creative juices flowing, you know. So that's kind of a form of public journaling, although the site is you know, terrible, uh, really needs to be rebuilt, but uh, just haven't had time. And, you know, just just an example of some way that you could be capturing your thoughts, you know, about stuff, you know, writing stories, uh, doing the journal entries, like I mentioned before, the diary slash diary. And some people just like to take photos just of things that are not necessarily uh, family photos, but just, you know, go out in the woods and take pictures of trees or, or go find uh, abandoned uh, buildings or whatever, which I think is actually cool. There's actually a subreddit, which is called, uh, I think it's called abandoned, uh, abandoned porn, I think is what it's called, which is great, because it's like you get to actually see how people have captured these things that have essentially just kind of disappeared and you know the earth is reclaiming them so just lots of ideas lots of ideas as to how to kind of capture moments just stuff i'm putting out there so i hope you enjoyed this episode uh this was finding your identity and i hope to hear you i always say hear you like i can hear you through the microphone like this is two-way like a walkie-talkie no i hope that you enjoyed this and that you come back and listen that's what i'm trying to say so this is Finding Our Identity. Until next time, goodbye.